From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to From the Void. I welcome back UFO author and researcher Craig Campobasso for part two of our conversation. He is a multiple award-winning filmmaker and Emmy-nominated casting director. Craig has appeared on many radio shows, including the legendary Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, Open Minds talk show with Regina Meredith, Beyond Belief with George Norrie, and the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. So without further ado... I give you part two of my interview on extraterrestrial species with Craig Campobasso on From the Void. Yeah, so one of the things you just made me think of is... so. Obviously, we, we've talked a little bit just now about um, reptilians and potentially their agenda, uh, sort of having a negative, obviously, aspect to it. Um, you know, that so- sounds like they have sort of ill intent. Uh, with all of these different species, you mentioned a, a number earlier, 82 different races of aliens visiting uh, are, I'm assuming, to a large extent, they are aware of one another and, yes. you know, are, are you know, are there benevolent races who are sort of keeping those races in check? Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's uh, not only are there uh, those enlightened races, but then we do have the created beings that are here that are actually overseeing the whole program of consciousness raising that's going on here on earth right now through star seeds and crystals and uh indigos and uh all of that that comes out of melchizedek all of that schooling comes out of the university of melchizedek which is 490 learning spheres from one end of the mirror system to the other right and so uh so star seeds are coming from all over this universe and actually coming from other universe and some really advanced ones are coming to help from uh, su- other super universes who are very, very advanced beings who are stepping down, stepping down, stepping down, stepping down their energy to get inside of a human body. And then what they do is they will incarnate with a family that is already awake and conscious because then it will help them to add more of their soul energy as they grow and become an adult. Then they'll be in their full divine power and able to do things here. And they make changes Right. They're really, really good positive changes, whether it's uh, for uh, pollution, uh, spiritually, um, any anything of that nature that's going to help people, the masses grow and and rise up and understand actually what duality is. I mean, when I was taught duality by the master teachers, I didn't know what duality was. I had no idea. I didn't have a clue. I mean, it was amazing to just hear the simplistic explanation and, um, and how, our, how we are actually all we, our dark and our light are competing with each other until we learn to let go of the ego, of control, of wanting to get revenge, of all of those things. And then when we come together, then our heart uh, moves up into our mind. And then that is when what I call the five Christ chakras. And and I don't mean that in a religious way. It's just what they're called. Or the five additional chakras. You can call them Buddha chakras. You can call them whatever kind of chakras you want. All the same thing. Those move into the body and they, uh, they work in between our seven chakras. 
And when we become fully conscious, then all the seven move into the heart and then the others work in between where the others were. And then we are working for, for divine purpose, service to humanity instead of service to self. I mean, now you're, you're really getting into my other wheelhouse, this, uh, this kind of underlying theme of spirituality in, in yeah. the sense that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about that in the, in the spiritual side of things, you know, in terms of duality, this, this um, you know, kind of boxing ourselves into this notion that there's just one choice or the other. You know, it's black or right. white. Uh, in in a world where life is very gray, and so, so sort of moving, evolving out of that that space of this idea that there's you know this notion of one choice or the other is only two. It's either right or wrong, left or right, black or white, and and moving beyond that um, is very very much a spiritual concept, and it seems to be prevalent uh, within sort of the um, uh, the thought process of these kind of higher evolved beings, right. Uh, they seem to already be there. They've already understood it. And they're trying to sort of like raise, elevate us up in a, in a sense. So that we, so that they can. That's why the consciousness raising program's going on. Because once we get there, then we rejoin universal society. And it opens up for us to leave the planet on crafts and go to other worlds and start learning again, like this world used to be a long time ago before it was closed off. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about, uh, cause I definitely want to get into to a little bit more into the uh, origins um, out of the 82 species that you, you kind of talk about in the, in the almanac. Uh, I'm assuming there's, there's some that are more prevalent in terms of encounters than others. So what, who are the main species that we're seeing most often um, that, are, that are having visitations with, with, with people that you've interviewed and, and stories that you've, you've heard? Uh, Andromedans, which are blue and milky white beings. Um, Syrians, uh, which also can uh, be blue, but they're brown, right? Um, but here, here's the other thing. Just because they're, these were their primary colors, they're like our planet. They're all a mixture of all societies. So they're going to be a range of different colors, right? Which is actually kind of cool because they, they have the whole spectrum. Green, blue, purple, violet. I mean, it goes on and on. So the mixture of colors is, can be actually quite beautiful uh, when, when seeing it. I mean, I, I loved how they presented it to me like, like the floral bouquet, we are the arrangement of God. Wow. Right? That's a beautiful way of, of putting it, right? So... Um, but I, I would, uh, Pleiadians for sure, Clarions, um, Umites. Umites have been coming. They're really tall. I mean, um, I saw a picture of an Umite. He is eight, I think it was eight feet tall. Uh, just a human looking guy with, you know, uh, he had dark hair. Uh, you could probably find him on the internet if you type in Umite, U-M-M-I-T-E, eight feet tall. They were for a time um, going and spending time in Italy. Uh, their craft have been, uh, uh, photos have been taken. They have a symbol on the bottom. They're sort of white. And it's got this symbol. And, um, and what they, they took a different tack. They started writing letters to scientists to think about things differently, to open their minds to be more universal in what they were trying to do, right? So I thought that was uh, really interesting. Um, the clarions, um, the, the man, uh, who they're visiting lives in a little tiny town way out in the middle of nowhere in Italy as well. And, um, they sort of lived in the little villages and things like that. 
uh, one of the guys, his name was Suell. Um, he went and uh, he got a job. Most of them, when they come here, uh, like I think it was the Koldashans as well. I know that um, the Lemurians as well, um, they come up. Uh, the Lemurians live below Mount Shasta. And, um, but a lot of these beings will, will pick a town. They'll go live there, get a job, and they will be there for at least two years. And they interact with people and, um, and, and it's for them to kind of get to know really it's, it's them becoming us so that they understand us more. And imagine the people that come in contact with them, they're probably like, oh, my God, what a cool guy. What a great gal, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I just find it, you know, it's just so fascinating. And uh, I mean, I think it would be fun to go and live with them for a couple of years and learn about it and come back and tell people. I mean, you know, we did, we had, we had the one uh, case, the Serpco case, where uh, I can't remember how many, I think it was 25 maybe people went to Serpco. Uh, they're sort of like a gray looking race and some of them came here and they've been coming back and forth. They're a very positive race. Some of the people wanted to stay behind. They loved it so much. Some had passed away there and others came back and told the story. There's a few books written about it. Uh, out there. So people find that fascinating, you know, get it. Basically it's close encounters. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One of the horrifying things that you just made me think of though, is uh, they're, they're going and hanging out with people in small towns. I can't wait for them to bump into a a flat earther out in the middle of, uh, you know, (laughs) like, Oh, well, (laughs) well there, um, I think Suell was in, I think he might've been in Rome. Okay. If I remember, I know the two Lemurians went to San Francisco. Um, and the Koldashan guy, his name was Valdar. He went to, he, he was somewhere in Italy. They're not like these little tiny towns, but okay. <laughs> they're where, where there is a hub that they can go and understand you know the surrounding society and that kind of thing and valdar actually uh when he was there there was one gentleman who was actually where he was from and eventually as he got to know the guy he shared with him that he you know who he was and why he was here and that he had to do this two-year tenure uh before he could become uh, a ship's captain for uh, the all the area around Earth, right? So, so they they too have to do various things. I know that on a lot of the motherships, and um, uh, uh, say for instance, like on Valiant Thor's, uh, all of, all of the Victor class fleet are three hundred feet in diameter. They carry two hundred people. All. All except for the main uh, commanders and vice commanders, all of the crew shifts out every three months, and they'll go to a different via, a different vessel, and they will do a different job. So they learn everything. Look, they live a long time, right? And what's really interesting there, you are not considered an adult until you turn seventy. Wow. That, that that's how much learning you have to go through right yeah yeah that's that's pretty darn cool so we we talked a little bit about uh origins physical characteristics of uh some of the, the races um belief system and cosmic agenda like that's that's another thing we've we touched on a little bit about um, I think this is really interesting considering the fact that, you know, again, like depending on who you talk to, the aliens are either here to destroy us or here to uplift us. Um, most, uh, from what I could tell, you know, you know, through, throughout the book, most seem like they have a pretty positive agenda and they're, yes. they're here more from a helpful perspective and trying to get us to, to better ourselves and to 
right. stop creating nuclear weapons and poisoning the planet and things of that nature. Um, you know, and, and we've seen reports also, uh, and I'm not sure if, if you have any um, insight into which races these were specifically, but there's a lot of uh, instances or stories where accounts where there have been UFO sightings around specifically like nuclear sites where they right. completely shut down our ability to to use them. And not just in the U.S., but also in the former Soviet Union as well. Um, it seems like they at least one of these alien races has a vested interest in us not, um, you know, shooting our own hand off, so to speak. That is correct. They're they're showing that we are not going to allow you to destroy this planet. Right. There was a planet that was destroyed before due to wars and it was catastrophic for the universe. And they have vowed that they will never, ever let that happen again. Let me let me tell you about the the very advanced beings and their vessels, their biological supercomputers can identify every living thing on a planet. It can um, go through every single human brain and it can decipher which ones are in the light and which ones are living deep in the dark and which ones are thinking and they monitor their thoughts and they can see them and which ones are thinking about committing horrific catastrophes, right? So if one of those beings were to do that and it would, would be more to destroy the earth, they would stop it. If it's smaller things, it's for our own learning, right? We have to learn. That's what duality is, right? Duality is we, we have to step up and do it for ourselves. They're not coming here to do it for us. They're coming here and they're observing. And that's why star seeds are here because star seeds have that full control and full power to work the universe's will on the planet. Right. And, um, and so they monitor them and, uh, you know, to see how they're doing. And uh, uh, I just think, um, you know, what's really, think about how many things they may have stopped that we don't know, right? Even the clarion beings, um, there's a base beneath the uh, Mato Grosso in... Um, Brazil, and um, and there, that that base is primarily just to monitor all the mines across the world to make sure that that never happens. There's other races and things out in the universe that are doing the monitoring. So, I mean, it's it, there's many many people that do the monitoring. And that kind of thing, which I find, you know, very fascinating. So, and the old Atlanteans, um, some went into Egypt and others then went below ground and they live under the Maragasso. And their capital is called Posid. Yeah, there's there's been, I think, more uh, conversation around some uh, sort of like where some of these alien races might you know, sort of be like hanging out. Uh, you know, we've seen video footage like the, the famous Tic Tac video where it, right. it submerges underwater. And so now there's been some theorizing uh, under, you know, uh, about whether or not there are, you know, subterranean uh, oh. bases. Uh, completely or, there are. Of course yeah. there are. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that because we've seen, um, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to, you were talking about the different craft and, and the different races and, um, how they build those crafts and how they vary. Uh, they can vary. It, mm -hmm. it seems like we're, we're dealing with some that are very like uh, physical nuts and bolts type craft where we see sort of the uh, traditional disc type shapes to the tic-tac object seemed fairly, uh, you know, uh, physical. 
Um, down to like we've seen uh, lots of sightings where it seems almost like it's a, made of energy, like a glowing orb right. that changes shapes. So talk a little bit about like who are these races and, and sort of like uh, talk about the varying degrees of like, you know, physical versus non-physical. Well, those are all the advanced races, you know, that we've talked about. Pleiadians, Syrians, Octurians, Andromedans, uh, Larens, uh, go, you know, it goes on. Um, but again, it, the, the higher the evolution of the being, the higher the evolution of the craft is going to be because there's different things. So you have to remember that some of these beings are already living in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh dimension. So they have access to all of those dimensions. And in their craft, they mine uh, stuff for their actual engines from the astral world and from those other dimensions. So how I understand it is when you see the light blobbing around like this, that is them coming out of the fourth dimension. And now they're here, but they're still in that fluctuation state. And then we see them going into mountains and underground. And then when they get to their destination, it goes boop, and then it's the craft again. Mm. Right? So they turn it into uh, this sort of light plasma, which is really the next dimension. And then they're able to move around through solid objects and things like that. It's like Mount Adams, you know, where uh, um, Isetti Ranch is. Uh, you see craft there. It's like the galactic airport there. I've been there. I've seen the craft just jetting around there. You see the light going in and out of that mountain constantly. Um, same thing with Mount Shasta as well. Uh, same things in Sedona that happen. There's lots of bases there. And uh, people see this all the time, and including um, Pine Valley uh, uh, and uh, Hudson uh, in New York, uh, because I think it was back in the 80s, all the residents heard them building an underground base. And then all of a sudden, people are seeing craft, they're seeing this. This is when Whitley Strieber started having his experiences with the Greys, right? This is when everybody there started having all of these experiences. Um, I talked to uh, one guy who's actually uh, um, a well-known actor who lived in Upper uh, up, uh, upstate New York, uh, not far from there. And he said every night uh, around 8.30 or 9, because, you know, everybody goes to bed early there. There's nothing going on, <laughs> right? He would see these manta ray-looking ships flying overhead. So, um, but if they, if they spotted somebody down below through heat censoring... They wouldn't come out. So he would get a heat sensor blanket and put over him and he would watch them come out. He filmed them. Um, he actually, uh, a few times, they were literally, when he was coming out of an ashram, that it literally was hovering right across the street from him. That's how close it was twice right and then it started to move and he started to chase it and he was going fast and a cop stopped him and and he thought oh my god i can't tell the cop because then he's gonna think i'm nuts and then finally the cop pressed him so much he said look i was following this and and the cop went oh my god they're out again and he freaked out so he wow. let him go so um but we, we uh, believe that those are ours 
And a lot of people believed that that base that was being built was a junction base between extraterrestrials and our military, right? And that those vehicles that were being seen um, were the ones that they built and they were out test flying, that kind of thing. Because uh, he told me that then they started flying little airplanes out beforehand to scour the ground. And when everything was clear, then the craft would come out. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of inclined to, to, to believe that some of what we're seeing uh, are, in fact, ours. And yeah. I know a lot of the reports about these sort of triangular blacked, black uh, triangular-shaped yes. craft, it, it seems to sort of follow our... Uh, you know, our stealth sort of model, you know, in terms of the build and the shape and everything, um, it sort of feels like some of those are, are, are definitely us sort of testing this, this technology to see if we can kind of figure it out. Um, so it seems like we're seeing sort of a combination of actual extra, you know, craft of extraterrestrial origin and some of our own stuff, our own tech. Yes, for sure. So you, you start talking about this a little bit. Um, and I think this is something that, I, I think generally people have, uh, you know, a little bit more of a hard time swallowing. You know, I think, I think we're just now getting the general public to the point where they're like, okay, there's crazy stuff flying around in the atmosphere. It might not be from here. Uh, perhaps we're not so special that we are literally alone. Uh, you know, the, the only <laughs> habitable planet, which is absurd when you just look at the, the, just the, the size and the magnitude of just our galaxy alone, much less the, the visible and beyond, you know, uh, points of the universe, like just crazy the, the math says that there's just no way that's possible. But I think we've finally gotten people to the point now where they're like, okay, perhaps we're not alone. Perhaps there are other older civilizations out there that are more advanced than us. But then you start, uh, getting into sort of, um, you know, multidimensional visitors and right. then you start to, to lose some folks, but it sort of follows the logic. Like, you know, as we advance, w- why wouldn't that be possible? And so talk oh, a little yeah. bit about, yeah, because yeah. you, you reference that in the book and you talk about, um, and you have a, a section for it within each uh, uh, group in, in each chapter, dimensional capacity and this, uh, this theory that's being discussed in terms of, I mean, we, we've seen some instances that, that are being theorized, uh, for example, Skinwalker Ranch, right, where they've seen craft that are sort of more that orb shape that suddenly that are like, yeah. Moving along and all of a sudden they disappear as if they've just gone through an invisible door. Right. Yeah. Talk about Absol- that a little. Absolutely. I mean, Skinwalker Ranch is, um, even though it seems like it's big and all of that, compared to all the other stuff that's going on, is is not that scary. Right? Yeah. But it is scary. It is scary, but it's not that scary compared to Bradshaw Ranch or some of the other ranches and things that, you know, have gone on in those places. But um, I went uh, to North Carolina several years back. Uh, There was a gentleman who was abducted and uh, was gone for several hours. Uh, Long story short. Excuse me. Um, his son was with him, you know, who, who that, and, and a bunch of other guys. They all went fishing. And, um, and when he came back, um, uh, you know, he saw his son who was freaking out, saying, where have you been? Where have you been? And one of, one of these beings, which is interesting, was only like this big and it had the sun cornered in the bushes and just was standing there staring at him the whole time. Right. And you, by the way, you're, uh, so for people that uh, are to see what you just did, that you're describing something that's essentially a foot tall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Literally not, not, you know, not that big. There were all very sizes, um, mm. from what he explained. And he said, so he got his son in the car that hightailed it back home the wife and the other children were not there. They parked in the back and they started running to the back door to get inside the house. And of course, the backyard there is forest and the beings are walking out of the forest towards the house. 
And so now the, the son explained to me and showed me his room and, and said, you know, and the house sits up high. So it's like, you're looking down. Right. And he said, you know, it came up right here and was staring at me. It was a tall one. And, um, and then they started having all this strange phenomena inside the house. Um, but so he was taking me through the backyard with another friend of ours and I had a Minolta camera. And as he's telling me the story, I'm just snapping pictures, right? I don't look at the pictures until the next morning in my hotel room as I'm lying in bed. And lo and behold, I got the Bing on camera. And it's actually in the E.T. Almanac book. It's the unknown alien at the very end. And it, um, its legs uh, ended where our knees are. And then it had a long, double long torso, thin neck, a oval head, right? And sort of strange... Arms Now, it's holding a light, which I immediately knew was an interdimensional light source, right? And then when we lightened up the picture, you could see the being is wearing goggles, which is an interdimensional goggles. Like, we use night vision. Mm -hmm. They use it for interdimensional. So we did not see it in person, but you can capture these things. And my friend who this happened to, he said, he let you take that picture because he said, you know, they let me take pictures, the videos and, and all of that kind of thing. And he gets lights and sometimes you'll, you'll catch the bing uh, quickly or that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, he was being investigated by a lot of government agencies, and uh, he immediately sent it to one of them who said that they hadn't seen those beings since 1958. Whoa. Right? And they were wondering what they were doing back here. Right? So now... Even though it's got a strange body and would pretty much kind of go between maybe what a gray would look like if it was tall and had a strange body, um, I did not get a bad vibration from it. And, uh, and my friend, throughout his ongoing experiences, um, that they were, they're benevolent, right? And, um, so it, it was just, you know, it's just fascinating to, um, see that this, these things can actually be captured, uh, and that kind of thing. That's why when you go to like a Bradshaw ranch or you go wherever you just take your camera and you just clickety click, 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 because in one picture, Right. Like in the, on Skinwalker Ranch, in one little millisecond of a frame, what did they get? A gigantic silver orb ship in the field. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to just go click, 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 keep doing it over and over again. What's great is we have digital. We can delete all of the ones we don't need. Right. So. Um, so you, you can get that even if you feel it. I mean, I've been as sensitive my whole life. I mean, ever since I was a little boy, I can sense, uh, spirit and other things around me. I could see the energy forms walking. Right. So, um, when I was a kid, it freaked me out, of course, but, uh, you know, you get used to it. So, uh, yeah, one of the interesting things that you just made me think of is, it's a question I've asked before, but I'm fascinated by it, uh, which is, you know, as technology evolves uh, for us, 
Uh, right. and, and primarily when it comes to, like you said, you're talking about cameras and digital cameras that we have now versus 35 millimeter, not right. that long ago. Um, it feels like we're getting better and better evidence. And it feels like as technology continues to advance and it's advancing rapidly, I mean, just within the last 10 years alone, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of crazy you know advancements have we seen? It feels like as that continues in that kind of forward, uh, you know, that forward momentum, uh, it feels like the evidence is going to get better and better and yeah. more difficult to ignore. Oh, completely. Exactly. Cause everybody has a cell phone, right? Everybody yeah. has a cell phone. I mean, the amazing things people show me that they've caught on film. I, it's, it's just, it blows your mind. I mean, the different kinds of ships and the craft and, and I mean, uh, I remember seeing a picture over Mount Shasta of a craft going invisible and it looked like it looked like a giant saucer but like remember how wonder woman's ship used to go invisible and you would see the outline that's what it looked like because wow. they caught it when it was going invisible yeah you know amazing well it kind of goes back to that you know some of the um and by the way, this is something I meant to mention is uh, some of the the best, I think, evidence or, or best testimony or best witnesses, if you want to call it that. Uh, I love when we get sort of, um, you know, those high ranking military officials, you know, people who are literally their job is to fly the best of the best aircraft that we have and to identify, uh, you know, these guys know the difference between. Uh, a weather balloon and a bird and a commercial aircraft. Right, you know? right. It's almost insulting to suggest that they don't. Um, and so when they come forward, putting their career at risk in there, you know, because for so long, this has been sort of one of those fringe topics that would get you laughed out of, of that right. community. Um, yeah. And yet we're starting to see more of them come forward and say, like, look, I've seen some crazy stuff out there. This is what I've seen. And then you start to see others also coming forward and saying, yeah, I saw the same exact thing. We saw this stuff every single day, uh, yeah. whether you're East Coast or West Coast or, or yeah. over the continental U.S. Um, and one of the things I remember uh, Lieutenant Ryan Graves, one of the uh, East Coast pilots saying, is that they, they had an upgrade to their sensors on their aircraft. And all of a sudden they saw this stuff everywhere. And so it sort of feels it kind of feeds into what we're talking about, which is as our technology advances, it becomes more readily apparent and it's almost impossible to ignore at that point. Yeah. I, I was just at a dinner party a month ago. Uh, A friend of mine is a pilot and he, he's a total awake starseed. And he said that he and all the other pilots are seeing craft on a daily basis. Now he said it is just stepped up. Like they can't believe how much stuff they're seeing every single, every single flight. And he said there was a bunch of them that were looked like they were dogfighting, having fun dogfighting, uh, these saucers. Yeah. Wow. And so uh, wh- what do they attribute to that? D- is there a sense that um, some of these species are, are sort of helping us with, I, I know the, the term disclosure is sort of probably overused at this point, and, but it, it feels like they're almost helping us press the issue. Like we're, we're sort of taking the ability to control the narrative out of the hands of uh, government entities, you know, let's, let's put it into like a real proper perspective. Yeah. The government cannot come out and give you disclosure. They just can't. There's no, and look, I I look at it from both sides. Mm -hmm. I understand why they can't because They don't want to be responsible for people freaking out, jumping off buildings, killing themselves, doing all kinds of weird things. And they do it for, from what they call, for our own protection, which I believe is half true and half untrue, right? Right. But there's also a good part of the government that is working towards bringing enlightenment to all of these areas. They did try it with To the Stars. Those were all government people that stepped down from their jobs to bring you this information. And they did did a pretty good job of it, right? And now they've sort of splintered off. And um, the real disclosure is going to come from the people. 
right? That is where it's really going to come from. They will lit out a little bit. They lit out the little thing in the New York Times. They lit out the Tic Tac video. They lit out a few of uh, these things. They test the waters just to see, you know, see what the temperature is out there. But I understand why they can't do it. But then you have all the people who are really going for it, like Stephen Greer with his videos and his talks, Stephen Bassett, who has done tireless work in this area, more than anyone I've ever known. His whole life is dedicated to it. And they know more than all of us know. They know all those military people. They know everything. And so they're the ones that come out and talk about it. We know they just had the big giant uh, press conference. They did it many years ago, right? Uh, Steve Bassett with everyone bringing out all the military people, people in government saying they, uh, you know, that they know about UFOs, they saw UFOs, they had, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and they just did it again. And now that, uh, now the, the ETs and things like that, they're, you're going to start seeing more and more of it so that people get used to it and they start to wonder why. And then there'll be things that come out more on it, like, um, uh, I'm just finishing up the uh, documentary to the extraterrestrial species almanac, which will hopefully aid with disclosure in this area because you're, uh, what, uh, what we did is you're going to hear from the real life contactees who are having these face to face. You're going to see pictures of the extraterrestrials themselves. You're going to hear from hybrids who are living on this planet, who are part ET and part uh, from Earth. Uh, you're going to hear from some of the top minds about all of this stuff and how it all integrates together, right? And, and how it, it forms into what can you expect from it, right? So... I say, like I even say it in the foreword of the book, you have to be prepared for what's coming. Because when it comes and you don't know what it is, you're going to freak out, right? And so as long as you go, okay, well, that one's a, maybe that one's a nice one because, you know, it's in here. But look, it's when you look at it, even if it's grotesque looking, it could be a totally benevolent being. It's what you feel on the inside looking at a being because I've looked at some truly hideous looking things and there was so much beauty on the inside that all I felt was love between me and that being communicating, right? Same thing on the planet, you know, you'll meet somebody that might not be the best looking person or, or maybe somebody with a, disability or something you know people people freak out over those kind of things they don't know how to react and you know and that kind of thing but um you know all of those people uh who who came in to learn from that really are teaching those around them they're really incredible master teachers and um uh, they are the most loving, kindest. They don't have a mean bone in their body, right? Just like ch uh, children and adults with autism. There's, mm. no mean, there's no mean bone in their body, right? Not, none whatsoever. They're just pure. They're just innocent. They're all of those things. So, I mean, we're going to experience all of the things that we experience here with beings out there as well. So... That's why I think it's always great to just sort of be as prepared as you can and uh, start to see, you know, we see so much science fiction and things like that. I mean, Star Trek has primed everybody. I mean, we know that Gene Roddenberry used to go and 
listen to the channelings of the nine, which were, you know, uh, in New York with a lot of other giant CEOs of companies, right? Huge people would go and listen. It, it was, it's a group of, advan- of nine advanced beings that would come in and channel. Uh, it was through two people, one, and then after that person was done, then the next person. But if you look at Gene Roddenberry, everything in Star Trek is based on nine. The numbers on the Enterprise add up to nine, Deep Space Nine, Seven of Nine. I went through it once. I think I counted 12 or more things that were based on nine and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And he and he also did say that he knew that he was receiving downloads. Interesting. So yeah. <clears throat> heavily influenced by, uh, yes. by yes. his experiences. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing you made me think of too, is it, it kind of takes me back to, um, you know, for those who are listening, aren't necessarily familiar with Whitley Strieber, uh, perhaps one of the most famous abductees, uh, in the history of the phenomenon. Um, and who really kind of put the, uh, the image of the gray in the public oh, consciousness. Yeah with uh, um, communion um, fascinating story. And, and, and even his kind of perspective is uh, very interestingly, it sort of uh, evolved over evolved. The years. Yes. Like he initially would have said that he was terrified and that that evil intent. And now yeah. he's like, you know, I was probably just freaked out because it's something that was outside of my, you know, outside Real of the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't understand it. And so I think pretty natural human instinct to, to, to drift into fear when, when we're encountering something that's unknown to us, but right. once he's had time to, since he's had time to process it, he's, I, I think more recently felt like it's been more of a gift than anything. Absolutely. And that happens to a lot of people. Uh, Yvonne Smith, uh, who has done thousands of regressions uh, with uh, people who have been abducted by extraterrestrials. Um, she told me that, Always in the beginning, there's always fear, but usually they come out of that fear and they see that it's for the greater good and that they become okay with it. And it's not like it's a every night, every week, every month event, right? That, that type of thing. Uh, Travis Walton, when he was on the ship, right? When he first saw the two greys, he freaked out. And he jumped off that bed uh, after he had been there for like a week. He didn't know that. And, you know, uh, pushed them away and they ran away. And then they brought in a tall uh, um, Nordic, right? Mm. And because he was human, he felt that he could identify with him. And he talked to, he kept talking to him, you know, oh, my God, there was these little grays in here, these little things. And, you know, they didn't say anything. But then they took him. He didn't know where he was. Right. And then they took him through the ship, out, out the ship, into a hangar where there was a bunch of other ships, walked across a hangar, walked into another part of the ship, and then was put on a table and um, and then they put him out again. And then the next thing he remembers was being on the road, looking up at the ship taking off, right? Which is really interesting. And the ship, because I asked Jennifer Stein, uh, who's a friend of mine, on the cover of uh, the Travis Walton story, right? There is a ship that is yellow. And I said to her, I said, so where did you get that? And she said, well, that's how Travis described the ship. And I said, well, did you know that those are Pleiadian ships? And she goes, what? And I go, that's why the Nordics that were in there were Pleiadians. And she goes, Wait, how do you know that? I said, because I was given a set of photos of that ship taken at a military base of the Pleiadian craft by Dr. Frank Stranges. And I sent her the photos, right? And she was just blown away. Yeah. 
So wow, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure those pictures are online somewhere. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes from this season or any of the other prior three seasons, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing so you don't miss a single new episode. And of course, uh, please consider sharing with a friend. We'll be back next week with the final part of my interview with Craig Campobasso. And until then, you've been listening to From the Void. <laughs>